This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. This is a cool idea, really cool idea, and it's it's more than an idea. It's a it's a reality. Uh, at the corner of John Street and Rebecca Streets here in our city, uh, there's a pop up park. That's right, you heard me. A pop up park. They've taken a section of a of that parking lot, that big parking lot that's there, and they've turned it into a park. And uh, I, I guess this is the beginning of of something that we might be seeing more frequently in our city. And joining us to discuss it is one of the guys. Um, that's behind it, and he's putting his money where his mouth is. That's Jason Farr, City Council Award Two. Uh, Jason, good to have you on the show. Excellent, thank you for having me, Jamie. And it's their money, not mine. So, well, <laughs> this is your money where my mouth is. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for <laughs> yes, thank you for reminding me and everybody else that it's taxpayer money. Very, right. very important <laughs> distinction. I, I always keep that in mind. Trust me. Right, <laughs> but you are you are contributing to this uh, to this idea and this project with. Uh, with taxpayer money that's uh, yeah. allotted to you through your through your office budget, etc., and uh, you feel obviously feel very strongly about this. First of all, let's roll her back and sure. talk about what what. Let's describe for our listeners what this thing looks like. First of all, well, picture the northeast corner of a massive city-run and operated uh, parking surface parking lot, asphalt parking lot. Take uh, 16 to 18 parking spaces out of the equation on that corner. Lay out some uh, fine astroturf. It uh, simulates uh, grass, but it's not grass. And uh, uh, design uh, cuts that uh, offer some tricycle training and and, uh, riding and uh, put on some nice uh, public park benches, uh, picnic table, some uh, uh, unique and creative shade opportunities that, that are still coming. Those aspects are still on the way, but we have some temporary shade in there now. Um, and uh, voila, put a nice little white fence around, make it AOD compliant and accessible with a, a ramp provided by the good people of the McNally Foundation, who put in a heck of a lot more money than the taxpayer dollars, I might add. And you have uh, what, what is Hamilton's first pop-up park that, that right now sits at the northeast corner of a surface lot in the heart of our core, but could essentially be transplanted anywhere in our city so it's a park in a box basically it's a park kit exactly and park in a box is the way our general manager of uh, economic development of planning and economic development jason thorne actually described it yesterday and 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 that is indeed what it is you could pack this up put it on a you know mid-sized city of hamilton truck and and uh and emulate this in Stony Creek or Winona or, or Dundas or anywhere. And it's it's definitely something that uh, a lot of people yesterday attended the ribbon cutting and spoke quite highly of. So the question then is, why why are you doing this? Why are we doing this? Uh, uh, where did this idea come from? Well, let's get back to the general manager of planning and economic development, Jason Thorne. Initially, it started with a conversation between us. Uh, it is an uh, internal staff project along with external stakeholders like the good people of the Social Research Planning Council, the Beasley Neighborhood Association, the BIA, downtown BIA, and others. And uh, it was basically a, a project that um, said, let's pick a spot where the least optimum use is now occurring in an area that, um, you know, can be easily transformed and that uh, welcomes uh, more passive recreation and uh, brings, you know, people of all ages and diversities together, whether it's to meet up and have lunch, 
uh, as firefighters at number one station across the way or a neighborhood uh, association meeting, Wesley Urban Ministries with their day programming right across the way. There, there's a number of partners that have been involved, and, and those are also going to be the users in, in addition to anybody else who may want to even park your car in the many remaining slots that uh, exist now. We ha- I counted about 21 open spaces at 11 yesterday uh, for what remains in that parking lot. And you got a few minutes to kill before you want to go home or you want to have lunch or you're going to your car or leaving your car. There's there's uh, lots of opportunities for a wide variety of uses for sure. All right. So I, I think it's a cool idea. Um, I, I think uh, taking a, a cool idea off the page or off the drawing board uh, or model map and putting it into uh, play is always uh, a good thing. And, and obviously, there's very there's very little drawback on something like this. You're creating a a positive space for people to enjoy uh, publicly. However, uh, there are always uh, there are always naysayers out there and critics. That's the way the world is. And you've got those too who say uh, this is uh, placation. This is. Uh, you know, we need a permanent park here. This is, um, you know, the, the, you're planting this park uh, at at a corner uh, that some people in that area say is known to be a violent corner. Uh, how do you address those criticisms? Um, so it's a really good point. And actually, I have a meeting with uh, one of those folks tomorrow who I greatly, greatly respect and have been working with uh, uh, to a greater end. And, you know, and to answer your sort of, I fell off track there, off the tricycle track there on your last <laughs> question, but there is a reason why um, this northeast section of this parking lot is chosen. The entire block is designated P1, and back in 2010, as the result of a stakeholder group, there was a group of people from the area that met with staff regularly, even before my time, uh, um, that worked hard, and it led to a design for what we call now, you know, working title, the John Rebecca Park. Uh, some individuals, including this individual, um, you know, are, have been adamantly um, supportive of the idea, even invested in the area based on the fact that this is a master plan idea of council, approved by council, even budgeted in our 2018 uh, budget that we're about to embark upon in the fall uh, to the tune of $1.75 million, uh to get moving on. So we thought it was a good uh, spot to show, um, you know, a, a sample in a smaller way um, uh, what is not a dream, but a, 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 it's a vision, I guess you could call it, but an actual reality someday, a, a, a real deal, a park on the entire block. Right. And so, so, so there are some, and it's a fair enough question, I think, that, that would have liked to have seen the park built by now. Years ago, Jamie, we had, uh, re, distributed the funds that were allocated that were set aside for John Rebecca. It should have been built by now. And and with Gore uh, and the Gore master plan in the same neighborhood, the Beasley neighborhood, we diverted the funds and the priority, not, not the funds, but the funds went with the diversion of the priority. And with Pan Am and Juno's and everything happening and the pedestrianization of Gore Park, we chose to rejig our priorities and make that investment instead, much to the chagrin of the people who invested in nearby proximity. And and fair enough, we continue, obviously, to work with them and the many, many people that they have supporting them. Okay, well, there's a, you know, that's a really straight-up, honest answer from a, from a politician, and we're and not, we're not used to getting responsibility those. For, absolutely, well, because, you know, I mean, I, I was part of the commenting body when it, you know, I was probably six months in on the job, and they said, Councilor Farr, you know, staff, they being staff, we need to redrig our priorities here. What do you think? And, well, you know, it's the same neighborhood. Gore is an important 
piece. The pedestrianization of the Gore, now that the buses were gone, was an important aspect, and so so we did. And and uh, yeah, I, I I and I and I I shared this with the, the folks that are clearly not uh, happy until we get the entire block done. And and fair enough, they know that, and and we've had a pretty open and transparent conversation. So I'll come back to that in a second, but back to the pop up uh, park. Uh, concept and, and reality. Now it's not a concept; it's a it's a reality. You said earlier, you know, this is a park that can be put onto a a truck and moved anywhere uh, right. in, in the city. I, I I love that idea. I just think that that that's great. Um, uh, I, I you know I think that it's it's going to it's also going to be something I think that will encourage people. Uh, to commune, meaning we used to have communities. I mean, we still do, but you know what I'm saying. You, you, yeah. th- this thing could go into lots of areas and and be a uh, be a magnet to bring people together in a peaceful, uh, calm uh, kind of way. And I, I I can't see how that can be a bad thing at all if this thing's mobile and uh, you can bring it into some areas uh, where uh, you're looking to bring people together, perhaps. For sure. And, and we know, Jamie, and I know you've watched downtown closely for many, many years. And mm-hmm. You're very smart when it comes to what works for us from a business perspective, from an economic uh, development perspective. And while we welcome the uh, growth that we've seen in, in commercial businesses, you know, 28 restaurants alone, just in that yeah. category uh, last year. Um, and we welcome the increase in employment and obviously an amazing uh uh, and unprecedented growth in assessment and uh, residential building that continues to happen, notwithstanding a little bit of a blip this week with the Connolly. Uh, there are cranes uh, all over the place, and there are uh, new residents coming in and moving in and being part of downtown every day. Uh, as important a piece as that new gallery or that new commercial space or that new condominium or rental property um Community space and parkland is, is, is a big piece. It's a big component to economic development. We know we have a number of great parks in the core, uh, in the heart of the core, not so much, and they tend to be smaller. And this, this is a, you know, entire block bounded by, you know, John and, and, and Catherine and, and Rebecca and King yep. William. King William, of course, as you know, is a very popular uh, restaurant row, to use the expression. That's what they're calling it now. I, that's the, yeah, that's this, what they're calling it. This park, it, it just it, it acts as a gateway to Restaurant Row, uh, and 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 you know it's it's desired by people. I mean, it's a huge selling feature to say, hey, nearby where you're interested in invest, investing, whether it's commercial, residential, or both, we have this passive area with trees and grass and places for your kids to play and dogs to run potentially and all of those sorts of things. And, and it's a huge selling feature. So we know that when you're building your cities, that uh, um, you know a place. Uh, uh, you know, uh, calmer, uh, 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 safer places are a big part of the mix. Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, you know, you've said earlier, we were running out of time, but you said earlier that, you know, uh, yeah, some f- funds were reprioritized, et cetera, but, that the, but, a, but a large permanent park there is... Um, is is still on on in the works, and so you yeah. but you've got Club Seventy Seven, which is the, you know the lightning rod for the the critics who say that's a, a you know a, a bad place, it's violent, we want it out of here. You got the old bus station across the street there. How do you what do you do about that? Uh, do you you know do you buy these properties? Uh, are they for sale? How do you you know take care of that? Well, the first the old bus station has been bought by a local developer with a consortium of partners who are right now going through a planning process who've already engaged with the Neighbor Association and who have made a massive proposal. It's uh, 
right now at 40 stories, but, uh, you know, those debates and internal uh, planning meetings will be happening soon with the professionals. Okay, so happen. check that, that one that, off that, the list. Well, where that's the old bus terminal. So that, that, that uh, John Rebecca Park plan, that, that P1 uh, zoning right across the street, was a big selling feature for that major investment. Sure. Then, then you do. Yep. There's 77. Absolutely. And obviously, uh, you know, uh, CHML uh, has been over the last year and a half. I'd say specifically all over the story from both sides, and it's ever evolving. And uh, certainly, one we continue to engage on. Okay. Uh, they are aware, as well as the other private property owner, of their P1 zoning. So, with uh, 77 isn't there. It's it's parkland zoned. And, uh, you know, we move, we move from there between now and then other things may occur, uh, to get us closer to our reality or our vision of the park. But, uh, you know, it, it's not lost on any of the city staff that creating what we've created in a pop-up park is a symbol of something much greater that is in the books. It, it's, there's no, uh, denying that $1,750,000 in the 2018 budget can go a long way and getting us closer to the reality. I mean, I said to one reporter, the ball is rolling, and it's hard yeah. to stop the rolling ball uh, once we once we get moving on this. It quite literally, it quite literally is just a matter of time. I mean, that's that's all that it is at this point. I mean, the and, the, the, the momentum's already there. It's going to happen. And and for now, have a good time. I just booked a meeting uh, at the uh, pop up park uh, just this morning. I'm gonna have another one tomorrow. I, I want to use it too. Great. So it's a great spot good. to come meet your local counselor and just have a chat. <laughs> now is the time. It's the summer months. That's talk, a talk. great time to just chill and relax and go over things like what else, whatever LRT or 28 <laughs> new restaurants. I'll talk to you about anything. Talk about an accessible politician. This yeah. is this is this is wonderful. Jason Farr, City Councilor Ward Two. Uh, thanks for the chat today, and uh, congratulations on this uh, pop-up park thing. I think it's awesome, and uh, we'll talk again down the road. Take care. Well, I think it's awesome. CHML spreading the word. Much appreciated, Jamie. Thanks very much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML. New feature. Could secretly dial nine one one on iPhones. Um, yeah, if you're kidnapped and need to call nine one one discreetly, there may soon be an app for that. A new patent filed by Apple uh, to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office details a new technology for an iPhone to quickly and automatically dial nine one one. Not all patents are granted, but I have to think that this is this is certainly a, a cool a cool idea. Apple uh, says it's a feature they hope uh, will help people who are being watched or forced to use their phone uh, by an aggressor or an assailant. It's the type of thing that a woman from Florida could have used when she had to resort to adding a message to an online pizza order in 2015. Under the comments section, she wrote a message asking employees to call police because she and her children were being held hostage by her boyfriend. The employees alerted police. So... I mean, there you go. That's just one example. Uh, it seems like a good idea to me. Joining me on the line to talk about it is Derek Sardo, president of Rolling Thunder, computer wizard. Hey, Derek, how you doing? Long time, my friend. Is, I'm doing great. Excellent. It's good to talk to you again. Um, th- this is, at face value, I say, yay. Like, I want to applaud this this idea. What, what do you know about this and what do you think about it? Well, uh, of course you would applaud it because uh, anything that, that helps us, uh, our users like this, be safe is great. The only problem I have is uh, I think the government should step in and, and make something like this uh, that, that spans more than just iPhone. Uh, 
Um, you know, we have Blackberries and we have uh, uh, Android and we right. have Windows. Um, I, I think that uh, this is a great idea, and I think that the authorities and and uh, and governments should get involved in this and make that standard on all phones. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Um, just it, just like it nine really does. Just like nine one one is is uh, standard. Um, you know, we we know that's what you dial when you want to get police, fire, or ambulance, emergency services. So. Um, and you say that, and you know, I was I was just in uh, in Iceland uh, this week, and um, uh, all the signs uh, when you come into the country say, you know, nine one one doesn't work, one one two works. Oh, okay, there there you go, one one two. I think in some so other are, countries, it's... and and a lot of the cell phones in the GSM, and this is a technology, are programmed to be able to uh, take a, a one one two call. Even if there's no SIM card in the in the in the system, or or if there's if there's um, uh, you know another provider, it can still connect to that provider and still make that call for emergency services. So again, That's... would love to see the world come together with with what what Apple's thinking here because this is a great idea. Think about being uh, stranded somewhere and uh, you know you've got a a kidnapper or you're being held at gunpoint or something like that and and uh, being asked to provide your PIN number for a bank machine or whatever whatever the case may be, uh, using a fingerprint uh, to initiate that call would be pretty cool. It sure would. So let's talk about, yeah, let's get down on the nuts and bolts about what's being discussed around what this this app is. Uh, you, you're the expert. What, how would we be uh, using this, uh, this patented technology? Well, I don't think it's, I don't think we, we should call it an app because it's okay. really going to be baked inside the operating system. Uh, to override everything else, so so that and and again, it's just uh, been been patented. So that doesn't mean it's going to come to fruition, but uh, we hope that it does. And it might be a combination of holding a volume button down and hitting the keypad or hitting the uh, fingerprint pad or something like that. It's some combination where it it's not easily triggered because you don't want that going off all the time. Right. And uh, again, you, you know, things get patented. Uh, technology companies, software companies. They patent things, and not all of them um, come to light. Uh, they do it to protect the, their ideas and their technology, right? Primarily, right? Yeah, exactly. The whole IT world is, is patent pending. It's crazy <laughs> how many people uh, infringe on that, and how many court cases there are. But let, let's let's uh, talk about the technology. Let's say that you initiate it. That may initiate, um, you know, a GPS lock. You know where it's locking in on a GPS setting and sending that to the authorities, so they know exactly where you are. It could uh, start a video um, in the background, so no, you know, the assailant looking at the phone wouldn't see that it was recording um, video or audio, but it would be doing that in the background. Oh, right, right. uh, Again, don't think of it as an app. Think of it as part of the operating system, where it's a hidden combination of something how you set it off and it will do all these things to uh, notify authorities just another uh, uh, just another sign of how important the technology has become to us in our in the palm of our hands right Derek exactly well you say palm of your hands will we'll, uh, wearables are becoming more important right your wrist um, uh, your wrist is becoming important uh, this year we'll see um, rings become important so uh, I know I'm testing a, a product now called Tokenize, 
and it's a ring that goes, it's basically a ring, goes on my finger and lets me uh, use my credit card. It lets me open my car door, lets me open my door at home. Uh, it lets me get into my computer without having to put my giant password in. I basically knock two knocks on on the on the laptop and the, and with bluetooth it enables the security and it unlocks my laptop. This sounds even more exciting than what we had John to talk about. <laughs> well, that is, you know, that's that's my world. That's what I live in. Uh, it, it's it's great and I and I eat it all up. I, I hear these things and I start to test them and uh but yeah, this 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 ring is I think is going to be really quite cool cuz it's really in, it's something so small but yet it can it can be so powerful. It can actually, I you know, in Canada we're not super advanced in terms of uh, uh, pin pads and things, but uh, worldwide it's coming. Um, you know, going to the supermarket by wearing my ring and tapping uh, my Visa on the screen, how what what great luxury is that? Oh yeah, and, and very and very safe because it's not it's not a card that can get lost. It's on my ring. How, how soon? How soon? Truly, do you figure? Uh, we're finished with plastic cards of all kinds. I, I'd say five years. Um, we're not that far away. You know, we're you know the tap industry is becoming uh, so big, and uh, we we can do things with biometrics, so we can actually do more things. You know, when you go to the airport in Toronto now, I don't know if you uh, if you know about Nexus, but. Uh, it does a it does an iris scan on you. Yeah, it I did. Knows that. You, I came it through knows the, who you are. Yeah, came through there a couple of a uh, couple of weekends ago, and yeah, there was the camera attached to the the computer terminal. Um, yeah. I had filled out one of those paper uh, declaration cards on the plane, came in, and the guy says, "No, nah, you don't. You don't really need those anymore. We've got these new computers. You punched in the answers to the same questions you used to write down while you're in the plane." And yeah. uh, and then the camera's right there and, and and taking your photograph and checking you out. It's it's really and, and no, you can't you can't fake that. No, no, no. <laughs> that's not that's something you can't fake. I mean, an eyeball is an eyeball, and it's different for everybody. So, um, the technology in 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 the Microsoft stack uh, is called Windows Hello, and that's becoming very big. And so passwords are going away. Um, it, on my Surface laptop, all I do is I look at it. It scans my irises and lets me in, into the machine. Um, th- this is now taking security to another level where if you're not the, the right person for that right machine, you're not getting into it. Yeah, and, that, and that's going to give rise to the cloning business. I mean, the, the, those those cloners out there that have been dying to get some traction uh, may have their opportunity yet, right? Because... They'll need to do that. Anyway, uh, Derek, as, as always, uh, a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for uh, uh, commenting on this uh, Apple app, uh, this 911 thing, and, and uh, sharing with us some of the other exciting things that are, that are going on out there. Appreciate it. Have yourself a, a great day. My pleasure. Anytime. Take care. Bye for now. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. UK Watchdog is urging... Uh, a crackdown on ads that feature stereotypical gender stereotypes. They say that ads that mock people for not conforming have costs for society. Is Canada bad, do you think, for gender stereotyped advertising? Um, there was an article, uh, a BBC article, that says the Advertising Standards Authority, this is in the UK, uh, is set to crack down on, uh, on these types of ads. 
and have drawn up rules that will take effect next year. Uh, the ASA said it had decided to conduct a review following the public's reaction to the Beach Body Ready advertising campaign in 2015. It prompted a wave of complaints for showing a bikini-clad model in an advertisement for a slimming product, which critics said was socially irresponsible. In the past, the ASA has banned ads on grounds of objectification, inappropriate sexualization, and for suggesting it is desirable for young women to be unhealthily thin. Don't we don't we see that all the time in our advertising here? 905-645-3221 star 9900. Maybe for maybe there's uh, some ads that stick out like a sore thumb for you. Um, bring them to our attention and we can talk about it. 905-645-3221 star 9900. Uh, in several instances that regulator in the UK had received complaints about ads that featured sexist stereotypes or mocked people who didn't follow traditional roles which it had not investigated or ruled out because they were not in breach of the current guidelines, blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't know. You know, is it bad to show an advertisement for, I don't even think you can advertise baby formula on TV, but I guess in the UK you can. Showed girls growing up to be ballerinas and boys becoming engineers. I don't know. Do we not know that we're men and women? Do we not know that we're boys and girls? Like, does the ad have to, I don't know. Let's bring in somebody who can straighten all this out. Alyssa Freeman is with us, public relations consultant uh, with Huffington Post, uh, Canada.com, and PR Daily. Alyssa, thanks for being with us today. Hello, how are you? I'm okay. Um, You know, this idea that we, you know, in the UK, that they're really going to clamp down on gender stereotypes in advertising do we need to be doing that here? Do we need, uh, you know, the gender stereotype cops going around? I mean, how big a problem is this? You know what? It is a problem. Okay. And I heard you talking before and you're going, okay, really? Like, really? This is what we're talking about? <laughs> but, and I get that because the reason there is even a little bit of myself that thinks, okay, do we need this discussion? But let me tell you something, Jamie. We do need this discussion. Okay. Tell, I'm, all, I'm all ears now. Talk and, to and me. here's why. Because we are, you know, when we talk about telling kids, you know, they can be anything that they can be, or when we provide or when we dictate uh, traditional roles attributed to one sex, you know what? That's, an, that's become an issue for me now. And I have to tell you, about 10 years ago, I was working for a nonprofit organization, and they were doing an ad about um, grocery shopping for healthy food. Okay. And what they showed was a husband um, in the supermarket shopping with the with a list, and his wife sitting outside the supermarket with a pair of binoculars, making sure that he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And we all thought it was funny, ha, 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 because typically, you know, at that point, it was, you know, a lot of men don't do grocery shopping. So therefore, they don't know what they're doing. Well, you know what? We got a few complaints. And we honestly, at the time, fluffed them off, thinking, Hmm. okay, you know, sour apples, whatever. Yep. But you know what? Now that I think about it, yeah, I think that we have to stop perpetuating certain myths. And it does start with advertising. Advertising is one of the most pervasive conduits to influence. So whether you're seeing it online, whether you're watching it on TV, whether you're seeing it in the movie theater, you're reading it in a newspaper, it's sharing it on the radio, it's everywhere. So why not take a stab at 
the one type of uh, what we call the one medium that is accessible to everybody and really take a hard look on how we're messaging male and female roles. I'm telling you, I don't have a problem with it. And quite frankly, I think it's about time. Okay. You know, I, the, the, the only thing that uh, has kind of bugged me for, for a long time is the portrayal of men as being dopes uh, in the roles of father and of husband. Uh, and you kind of use that as an example that, that you gave me. You know, the guy is sent into the grocery store and the, and the, you know, the juxtaposition is the guy's a dope. He doesn't know what he's doing. He won't follow the list, uh, whatever. Right. And, and the partner's out in the, in the car with the binoculars on him, you know, trained on him because he's sure to screw up. Um, I've had a big problem with that, but that's, but I, I shouldn't say I've had a big problem with it. I've noticed it and I've kind of sloughed it off as humor, but maybe you're right. Maybe we need to take a closer look at that kind of thing. First of all, do you agree that men are uh, very often portrayed as bumbling idiots? Absolutely. And I think that that is what's going to turn this conversation so people will start looking at it. Because when we talk about gender stereotyping or we talk about putting um, heavier regulations on ads, mainly it's skewed towards object- objectification of the female body. Yes. So like it said in that yes. article, you know, if you want to get ready for summer, you better look like this. And you have some hot Photoshop yep. babe in a bikini. Well, that's largely on a table. Now, I look at that and I'm thinking, all right, well, that's... You know, that, that would be nice, but it's not going to happen. But there are people who are really, who really get upset by that type of thing. And yes, we would think, you know what, get over it. You don't like it. Just turn away and, and, you know, don't let it bother you. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is a reason to be upset because it's just everywhere and it's made to seem okay. Just like when we say, Jamie, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. Well, no, not necessarily. And why should we portray men as bumbling idiots? That's also gender uh, stereotyping. Wouldn't you agree? So if we could even to, to take it the conversation so that it is across all levels, across you know, with both genders, um, creating some sort of baseline where, you know what, it's not okay to objectify whether you are a man or a woman. You know, it's not okay to say, okay, if... Um, the little girl eats her whatever product, she's going to grow up to be a socialite or a ballerina. And right. if the little boy eats that product, well, he's going to become president or, you know, or a CEO. You know, that conversation starts young. And those messages start really young, especially when we're looking at products that are aimed at kids. So why not have advertisers, ad agencies, people who own brands, like companies that own brands that we see every day on the store shelves, rethink on how they are going to sell that brand to us. And one of the narratives doesn't necessarily or should not be gender gender stereotyping. But then, you know, agreed, but then there's a whole lot of other things. Pretty soon, um, you're not, you're basically going to have to say, well, we're not going to do an advertising campaign at all now because, no, because we have so many ways. I think there's lots of ways to sell cereal. You can sell how delicious name, it is. Name you two. It gives you energy. You don't have to sell it and say if a little boy eats it, he's going to play soccer, and if a little girl eats it, she's going to play with dolls. But what if it doesn't give me energy? What if it just satiates me and makes me fat because it's full of carbohydrates? I don't. Okay, I, I, I mean, I'm well, playing devil's advocate. But there are rules on that. There's rules on that. So you can't make false health claims about a product. 
You just can't. Well, and my if point is, you, <laughs> you know, regulators come down on you and say, for example, look at Nutella. Okay, I love Nutella. You ever just open up Nutella and stick your spoon in the jar? And, and <laughs> I know. Spoonful? I know lots of people that do. It's not my thing. Okay, uh, well, but... I've done it before. Thank you. I need a hit of sugar. <laughs> oh, but if you looked at Nutella's advertising for the past, well, I guess about a couple of years ago, and they said, you know, it's part of a healthy breakfast. Yeah, and to your part exact of. point. Yeah, which part? Yeah. To your exact point, it wasn't. It's full of sugar. It's got hazelnuts in it. Okay, I get it. If you eat it with a glass of yeah. milk. Yeah, it can't be called healthy. Too. But the regulators came down on them and said, no, this is false advertising, and now you're fined. You were making false health claims, and they were a danger to people. And they were a real, like, physical danger to people who thought, I'm just going to, you know, feed my kid Nutella, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's the only thing he or she eats, and so there. So this is the same thing when we're moving this conversation over into a much more contentious area when we talk about how we talk about genders. And some people are like, okay, well, this is what it is. And I submit, Jamie, that it isn't what it is. And we don't have to fall back on the old excuses that say, well, you know, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. And I think it's about time somebody put a line in the sand and took a good hard look at it. All right. What about the uh, portrayal of, um, of people in 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 general in advertising uh that are always uh always happy always well dressed uh always have everything um i think more than anything uh, because i'm fortunate enough to um not you know be in a position uh, to be socio socioeconomically disadvantaged that is somebody that's one of the haves i sometimes look at advertising and think Boy, oh boy, this is tough for, this has got to be tough for people that have not to stare at this and live up to this pressure, particularly parents where kids are concerned. I think there's a difference between aspiration and objectification. Okay. So what you're talking about is, boy, I'd really like to drive a Mercedes Benz. Mm. Boy, I'd really like to look like that guy and have that hot chick or whatever. You know, so, well, there's gender stereotyping. Right yeah, nice there, going, so, Alyssa. So let, let's dial back on that. <laughs> See, even I'm guilty of it. There you but go. then, you know, so objectification, I think, is providing pejorative messages. And aspiration is, yeah, I'd like to work towards that. So I actually, I think it's a good point you raise, but honestly, I think it's apples and oranges. Okay. All right. So where? So what are what are the things that that I mean? We've discussed some of the things that bug you, but is there something that sticks out like a sore thumb in advertising that just really you cringe at? You want to throw something at your television set or at your radio or whatever? Oh, that is. A I'm good putting one. you on the spot. You're I know. Putting me on the spot, and I really should have anticipated this question because it's what a it's okay communication strategist does. You know, I'm going to hang up and think of one. Of course, or you know, at three in the morning when I find when I figure out one out, I'm going to call you. It's one of those things, though. It's one of those things, though, that that you know it when you see it, okay, or you know I it know, when you I hear know. it. There are still some U.S. magazines that put in cigarette advertising. Yeah. So they yeah. still take cigarette dollars, and that makes my blood boil. We, we do not allow that here, and it's for good reason, because they will kill you. End of story. Yeah. But in the U.S., it's like, well, that's ad revenue, and yeah, people can make their own choices, so we're going to take the money. I, you know, and they think it's okay. I personally, when you ask me what my personal opinion is on that, that makes my blood boil. Okay, and believe it or not, believe it or not, since it's my show today, I'm going to kind of wrap it up here. <laughs> believe it or not, my my thing is... Um, really something you've, you've already sort of touched on, which is objectification. 
I'm <clears throat> I would I would I would beg um, advertisers and advertising agencies to start portraying the female form in a in a more across the board form. I'm I'm I feel like my intelligence intelligence is being insulted all the time by the bikini you know the bikini body type mm-hmm. image. Please get us past that, please. And and the reason is I don't want not only girls growing up thinking that that's what they have to be and that they should aspire to really a very unrealistic portrayal of most female body types, but I don't want I don't want young men thinking that either. That that's what that that's something to shoot for, if you know what I'm saying. Well, I could just think of a I could have thought of a better point on which to end this conversation. That's absolutely very um, elevated thinking, yeah, we, open-minded of we, you. We've got to get we've we've really got to get <laughs> past that for sure. We could go on and on. Alyssa Freeman, uh, public relations consultant, uh, Huffington Post, Canada dot com, and PR Daily. Thanks for this. Really appreciate your time. Hey, that was fun. Thank Take you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. The Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to three on AM nine hundred CHML.